Nonprofit leaders struggle constantly with getting it all done. Fundraising, managing boards, wrangling volunteers, keeping an eye on cash flow, hiring and managing staff, recruiting new board members. Oh yeah, and then, you know, maybe we'll throw strategic planning in on top of that. Let's face it, these jobs can feel completely undoable. Everyone is overworked and stretched too thin. Now I want you to think about all that work and I want you to imagine that you actually have to do it all by yourself. I'm not talking about that passive aggressive thing, you know, where you say, oh, I'll just do it myself. I'm talking literally doing it all by yourself. Imagine that you are the only person in your organization. There is zero money to hire staff. What would that look like? I wanted to know. Now, I arrived to a messy nonprofit, but I did have staff. Not that I could afford to pay them, but I did have support. So today, for all of you nonprofit leaders who complain about your staff, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. Sarah McGowan Audette is the part-time executive director of Dinners with Love and its only paid staff member. She joined the organization in May of 2015 after years of experience in higher ed administration. She also has a deep commitment to and a dedication to issues from sustainable living to diversity and inclusion. She recently began consulting with other nonprofits on issues related to communications and board development. Sarah, I actually don't really know how you could possibly have any time to meet with me. I, 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 I don't get it, but thank you. Thank you for having me, Joan. It's my pleasure to be here with you. So Sarah, let's, let's talk about your organization first, Dinners with Love. Let's hear your elevator pitch. Absolutely, Joan. I'd love to tell you about Dinners with Love. Uh, I know, Joan, that you recently lost someone dear to you after an illness, so I know that you understand how difficult the end-of-life transition can be, not only for the person who is dying, but also for the people who love and care for them. And this is where Dinners with Love comes in. We're a group of hospice agencies, restaurants, and volunteers who provide food and comfort to hospice patients and their families. You know, one woman who received meals through our program told us how much the Dinners of Love program has meant to her and her mother, who is under the care of hospice. She mentioned one evening in particular when she went into her kitchen, she was just expecting to have yet another bowl of cold cereal for dinner. And it was at that moment that she heard a car in the driveway. And when she went to look out the window, she saw that it was a Dinners with Love volunteer there to deliver meals from her mom's favorite restaurant in town. Now, Joan, this scenario plays out every day all across our country, except for most hospice patients and their families. It does not end with a warm, delicious meal from Dinners with Love. And of course, we hope to change that. Our volunteers have delivered nearly 9,000 meals since we got started in 2009. We're working to expand our program in Vermont, and eventually we want to be able to offer support to hospice patients and their families from coast to coast. Okay, well, first of all, that was an awesome elevator pitch. And Thank so you. I, I talk a lot about what makes a great elevator pitch. So 
we can come, we'll come back to dinners with love, but let's just, I hope listeners really, you might even want to like rewind and listen to it again because there's a couple of things. I just can't help myself here. There's a couple of things Sarah did really, really well. Um, I learned enough facts so that I had a sense of the magnitude. I had a sense of her aspiration to grow this organization coast to coast. Because I found myself, as I listened to her, thinking, gee, why isn't this in more places? And she, had, she told a story, and she related it to me. So there, there were, that was kind of a home run elevator pitch. So um, nicely done, Sarah. Well, thank you, Joan. As a matter of fact, I developed my elevator pitch um, with, with your guidance, with, uh, you know, one of your uh, master classes from the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, which I know we'll be talking about a little bit later. Oh, well, um, uh, there are good classes, but they're also good students, too. <laughs> um, so um, it is an incredible mission, and you're absolutely right. I did uh, lose a dear friend, kind of a second father last year, and he was, you know, I think of hospice as only being sort of someplace someone is for a couple of days. But in this case, and I guess as in many cases, people are that can be there for, for, for some time, and this went on for, I think, maybe two weeks. And so a number of us organized food delivery for his family, and it was really meaningful, like way more than just sort of the physical sustenance part of it. Um, and I just wonder, do you have a personal connection to the work in this, in this way? I certainly do. Um, you know, as you mentioned before, I joined Dinners with Love back in May 2015. Uh, but a couple of months before that, uh, my husband's grandfather, we call him Poppy, um, suddenly took ill um, and, and was under the care of hospice. Um, and so during that week that he was receiving hospice care, uh, my husband's family would gather at Poppy's house every day after work. Um, and it, it's worth, worth mentioning that, you know, my, my husband's French-Canadian. He's a dairy farmer. We have all kinds of aunts, uncles, and cousins right here in the area. So, you know, it was really um, fairly large gatherings of families after work. And so we were there sharing meals um, and just through our presence and, and the sharing of delicious food, we were able to offer comfort not only to Poppy in his end-of-life transition, but also to each other. And so when several weeks later I was, um, you know, looking through some job ads and I came across Dinners with Love, a light bulb went off for me. You know, I immediately remembered what a great experience we had um, by sharing meals during hospice. So it made perfect sense to me that this is, uh, you know, something, a, a form of comfort and love that we would want to share with more hospice patients and families. So two quick things in response to that. First of all, it's kind of a weird, really kind of a, we're having, I'm having a woo-woo moment. Oh, I definitely have woo-woo moments about it. So it's, my, it's, right, yeah. No, no, no. The woo-woo moment I'm having is my dear, my sort of, my second dad, mm -hmm. everyone called him Poppy. Oh, so wow. That's pretty cool, right? That is. The, <laughs> the second thing is, I think there are people who live in the world with their eyes wide open, and there are people who don't. And you could have gone and experienced that familial connection and not, not 
had your eyes open to recognizing the power of it and how it could be transferred to others. And I feel like nonprofit leaders have their eyes more wide open than the average bears. What do you think? I I would have to agree with that. Um, You know, I'm always just amazed when I meet other nonprofit leaders and hear their stories um, about why they became involved with their organizations. Um, And they're able just to identify challenges through their own experience that, you know, are things that maybe I've never had contact with before. And they're working so hard in their communities to find solutions to those challenges. Yeah, it's very inspiring. So now on to the, uh, um, the question I'm, I think most people are very interested in hearing. What is a typical day like for an executive director with zero staff? Well, one of the things that I love most about my job, um, both you know, as, as being somebody who works in the nonprofit sector and somebody who works solo most of the time, is that there's really no such thing as a typical day. Um, as, I, as I'm sure is the case for you, I find my work to be very rewarding. I find it to be dynamic. I find it to be challenging in all of the right ways. Um, but of course, lest anyone should accuse me of glamorizing nonprofit work, uh, there are definitely moments <laughs> when it is occasionally mundane. Um, but I, I can definitely share with you a recent day. Um, I, b- I believe this was last Tuesday that I think, you know, kind of captures the spectrum of things that I tend to devote my time to. So like most, I'm ready. Okay. Yeah. So like most people, I, I always start my day with emails for better or worse. And on that particular day, I discovered that a $100 donation had come in overnight. So there was a little bit of data entry, getting that data or that donation recorded. Um, but then also getting to engage in some donor stewardship by, uh, sending this person a thank you note and letting them know of their impact for our organization as well as hospice patients and families in our community. Um, Another thing that I've been working on a lot lately is board recruitment. I had recently met with a board prospect to share more about the Dinners with Love program and to discuss the valuable role that he could play with our board, and I wanted to follow up with him. So I sent him the additional information that he had requested um, that would help his decision-making and also to let him know about next steps. Another portion of my day was spent uh, writing our grant report for a local community foundation. Uh, As is often the case, they had asked us to include stories of impact in our report. So I I looked through this file that I keep of letters and stories that I've collected to find just the right ones to share with them. And of course, um, I'm sure most uh, executive directors can relate to this, uh, whittling those stories down into the allotted character limit for that report. (laughs) Uh, Then I got to do one of my favorite things, which is to go and visit a local hospice agency. Uh, This particular hospice agency had agreed to partner with our organization earlier this summer. And so my meeting with them was a chance to just you know, fully present the program and hopefully persuade them to join. Um, And I'm very pleased to say that ultimately they did decide to partner with our organization. Uh, But the best part about meeting with them is that they were just so excited about our program. And I could see that they were thinking creatively uh, about the new and interesting directions that they could take our program at their agency. 
then I rounded out my day by sharing this great news with my board, which of course they were just so incredibly happy about. Uh, I love sharing this kind of news with them because it helps them to engage with the work of our organization on a deeper level. Um, and it also shows them that we are making progress, even though it can feel maddeningly slow sometimes. Then finally, as I do every day, I reflected on what I did and did not, as the case may be, accomplish. And I set out a plan for the following day. Um, this is true for most executive directors, but I think especially true for part-time executive directors who are running solo, um, that every hour is just so precious. And I try to be really diligent about planning how I use my time. And so that's, that's a typical day for me. So I think that there are probably people who are listening, I among them, that th are thinking to themselves, is it actually easier to run something all by yourself? Are there fewer interruptions and distractions? Like, I listen to your story and mm -hmm. think, well, that sounds quite perfect. Like, it's like, oh, my God, Mary Poppins is running this organization. <laughs> She's practically perfect in every way. But it also raised a question to me, is it just easier in some ways not to have staff? I, I, I would say so. Um, I mean, I, I'll admit up front that if I, you know, magically had the money to hire some staff, I absolutely um, would do that in a heartbeat. Um, I think, you know, it would benefit me, it would benefit our organization to have some thought partners and collaborators. Um, but, you know, I, I was just thinking, you know, the tagline for your podcast, Joan, is um, that one of the challenges of working in a nonprofit is that there are too many cooks in the kitchen. And so being a one-woman shop means that my soup will never be too salty, so to speak. Granted, I do run the risk of my soup being too bland. Um, but in any case, you know, that really allows me to write the ship as needed. Um, I can pursue opportunities. I can address or avoid challenges um, without having to convince anyone else to come along apart from my board, of course. So let's talk about your board for a second, Sarah. How do, how do they support you? Is it, is it a working board where board members, in fact, sort of fill staff functions? Sort of how does, how does the board operate and support sure. you? Sure. So this is actually a time of great transition for my board. Before I joined Dinners with Love, they were very much a working board because there actually weren't any staff members. They quite literally had to do everything. Um, but once they determined that they wanted to expand the Dinners with Love program outside of our little corner of Vermont and perhaps become, you know, a nationwide organization someday, they knew that they needed not only to hire a staff person, but also to become more of a governing board. And so we've been working on that now, especially that I am in the role of executive director. Um, my, uh, my board chair and I have been working on supporting our board members and becoming what I call AAA board members, meaning that they are my advisors and our organization's advocates and ambassadors. Um, at, at the moment, we have some really great advisors. Um, you know, we have one woman who serves as treasurer and she kind of handles all of the finances, so that's not on my plate. Um, we've got another board member who is a freelance writer and has a background in marketing. So she offers me, um, you know, really great feedback on the communications materials that I produce. 
And then meanwhile, we have some other board members who are really great ambassadors. But I think, you know, for the, the greatest benefit for Dinners with Love, we really want to get to a place where each and every board member is able to fulfill all three of these roles. Again, that's advisors, advocates, and ambassadors. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to emphasize that in a one-person organization in particular, it really becomes all the more important that board members are able to step into those roles. Uh, it really cannot fall to the ED alone you know, just to have all of the answers and even to secure all of the resources. As I listen to you talk, Sarah, I think to myself that in, a, in an organization that is as tiny as yours, and I believe you mentioned that your budget is a big whopping $25,000 a year or something. That is, is that right? Yeah. Big, uh-huh. big, big. Yes, big huge. <laughs> That in, a, in an organization that size, there is an, an intentionality about what, what you described. There's such an intentionality about board recruitment because that board has to be engaged. There's no way for the organization to be successful without them, without them doing all three of those things. And so you have to go looking for board members that have the skills that you can't, there's no, there's no option. The only way to get those skills is by volunteers and more particularly board members. So I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated because bigger organizations will often come to me and say, I need to find new board members. And they don't approach it with the kind of intentionality that the process really demands. So I'm totally fascinated by that. Let me ask you a question. The $25,000, how do you raise it? Uh, We raise the bulk of our funds through individual contributions. Um, About, I'd say a third of that money comes from our annual event. Um, And I know, Joan, you you get a little squeamish sometimes about events. Um, but for us, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that the, we get most of what we need for the event donated by local businesses. So our expenses are quite low and the return on that investment is quite high. Um, well, I I just want to say I, the squeamishness I have about events is when it takes up too large a percentage of your total. So when you tell me it's a third, I'm okay with that. And and then you can keep talking, but I want to come back to this notion of getting things donated because a lot of organizations get just big enough where they're not scrappy Mm -hmm. enough. And it seems to me that a one-woman show with a $25,000 budget, like scrappy is your DNA. Absolutely, yeah. And... And in particular, I would say a lot of our scrappiness actually comes from our founder and board chair. Um, She is just really great at pounding the pavement and getting out into the community and asking people uh, to rally support behind us so we can do what we need to do. So we are talking with the one-woman band, Sarah McGowan Audette, the lone staff member of Dinners with Love, a Vermont-based nonprofit that literally and figuratively feeds hospice patients and their families. Small budget, $25,000. She's located in Vermont. The aspiration is to get bigger and to 
uh, expand the program. She's telling us about how she really and truly does it all. Um, I have one more question, I guess. Um, no, I'll have more than that. One more than one question. Clearly, your ability to deliver on your mission is directly connected to the efforts of volunteers. I assume you have volunteers that also go out to the hospice agencies and deliver the food and all of that. What do you see? I also hear people complain about volunteers or or not wanting to rely on volunteers. Sometimes executive directors can be kind of control freaks and are convinced that they do it better themselves or, oh, what if my volunteer doesn't, you know, is not reliable? Like, you have no choice but to rely on your volunteers. What do you think is the key to successful management and engagement of volunteers? For sure. I mean, you, you hit the nail uh, right on the head, Joan, um, where we are very uh, reliant on our wonderful, wonderful volunteers um, who really are the ones who carry out the day-to-day work of the organization. Um, so I would say that there are two things uh, that are key uh, to successfully managing and engaging our volunteers. The first one is gratitude. Um, I believe that you can never say thank you enough to your volunteers. Um, I, I imagine I can speak for most people when I say that when somebody feels appreciated uh, for the work that they do, for contributions that they've made, um, for time that they have given, ultimately they will want to continue to do more and do better for your organization. The other piece um, to managing volunteers and engaging them is impact, or more specifically, letting your volunteers know the impact of their work. Show them how someone's life is better off because of them. Um, as I've done you know, a couple times in this podcast, tell them a story. Um, I find that those two things will really put uh, some fuel in their tank. I think that that's true, and also... They are, um, they're on the front lines. They're the people that are actually visiting and delivering this food to the families and the sort of being able to touch the work in that way, uh, it, it ignites you to want to actually do more. And, and, and it doesn't, when you do that and you, I mean, they, there's, there are all kinds of studies about volunteerism that it's actually, it's actually really good for your health it's good for your physical health. It's good for your emotional health. There's one study um, that's, that literally says that people, I think, over a certain age, spend fewer nights in, <laughs> in the hospital. Actually, it's sort of funny as we're thinking about it. Um, because they feel better because they volunteer. And uh, I, I think the, the more opportunities you provide your volunteers to do more than, um, you know, put stamps on envelopes or, you know, that sort of thing and allow and give them the opportunity to really get out there and do the work, uh, the better. Because um, I, I assume once you've done this work and gone and delivered to a family and seen the look on their, the looks on their faces, you're, you're ready to Absolutely. Do I would agree with that. Um, and that's certainly the, the feedback that I hear um, from our volunteer coordinators and volunteers um, is that, you know, just that experience of going to a local restaurant, picking up a meal and bringing it to a family in need um, is very powerful and rewarding for them. Let me ask you a question. So how do you get, <clears throat> so it sounds like you have a, a, a smart board, a strategic founder, 
clearly you're an eloquent ambassador for this organization. What's it going to take for you to go to the next step? I mean, $25,000 is scrappy and small. You're in Vermont. You're pretty local. And I know that you you don't even do this full time. You also consult for organizations. So if you were a consultant to Dinners with Love, what would you say to your own organization about, hey, it's time to take this organization to the next to the next level. How, what's, what, is there a plan for that? That is a I'm huge curious. question. Um, well, if, if I were a consultant for my organization, I would encourage us to get a strategic plan in place for making that happen. Um, I think it's been, right. I don't know, maybe three or four years, so certainly well before my time, um, since the organization has done a strategic planning process um, and I'm hoping that that's something that we can accomplish. Um, you know, as as executive director, I know that the ambitious vision that the board has set out for me uh, is that we're going to become a nationwide organization at some point. But I think it would be helpful for us to to map out a critical path for ourselves for how we're going to get there and what are some um, you know strategic opportunities that we can take advantage of to get us there. Yeah, I think that's, I, I, I'm sure that that's exactly the right next step. And adding that process onto your practically perfect <laughs> last Tuesday <laughs> um, in a part-time role, it would seem to me that maybe, so I'll offer a consulting voice here and say maybe your first step is I want you to be the full-time executive director. I don't want you to consult on the side because you have to make extra dough. I want you to be the full-time executive director, and I would make it if I were a board chair. Our first order of business is let's make sure Sarah's in that seat full-time because we can't actually deliver a strategic plan and, and, and deliver on our aspirations. Um, it's hard enough without any staff, but without Sarah in the seat full-time, you're really, really swimming yes. upstream. <laughs> I, so that's, I appreciate that, would be my that advice, and not only because it benefits me, um, but also because, you know, I think we're definitely getting to that point where, you know, 20 hours has a week for me has served us well for, you know, a couple of years now. Um, but we're definitely getting to the point where this is becoming a, a full-time job. Yeah, it sounds like it, especially with the aspirations that you have here. And uh, and and I just it seems like it's a gap that is there is a gap out there that you are uniquely suited to fill. And to me, that is the core question I ask so many of my clients when I we're working on strategy or we're working on messaging is what is the gap that you fill and why are you uniquely suited to fill it? And you have made that case and then some today. So I want to switch gears for a couple of minutes, and I, um, I want to, uh, to offer some full disclosure. I think Sarah mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I met Sarah and, was, and became connected to her through her membership in the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. So the Nonprofit Leadership Lab is a, is a, a monthly subscription site that I launched in the spring of this year for um, leaders of nonprofits just like Sarah Audette, for small 
And you know, and you can define small however you want to. Twenty five thousand <laughs> yes. dollar budget definitely qualifies as small. There's n- there's no parsing that out into something else. But we have folks in the lab who have million dollar budgets and staffs of ten, fifteen, or twenty. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but the but the um, but I just speaking of the gap thing, I saw a gap. I saw a gap that small nonprofit leaders did not have access to the kinds of consulting resources that larger ones do. And I wanted to make resources available to them in an affordable way. We are currently, um, we have open registration periods from time to time so that we can build a strong cohort of members in the lab. The registration is currently open until Wednesday, October 18th at midnight. And um, I, I guess I would be foolish not to ask you a little bit about your own experience in joining the lab. And um, I wondered if you could talk about sort of what prompted you to join. Well, I think, you know, as you mentioned, Joan, there's certainly a gap for small organizations to have access Uh, to consultants. Um, Consultants can be a worthwhile investment, but they're also a significant investment. And so when you're looking at um, a budget that is already quite small, it's hard to to eke out uh, the money to to adequately invest in a consultant. Um, And so, you know, I saw the Nonprofit Leadership Lab as an opportunity to gain access um, to consultant quality um, information and engagement without breaking our budget. You joined actually not knowing anything about the lab or what it would be like to be in it. So you took a little Mm -hmm. bit of a leap of faith with your monthly subscription. And you have been in the, as part of our village since May, so it's been you know five six months. What is it relative to what you imagine? I would say that the nonprofit leadership lab has really exceeded my expectations. Um, you know, I I've really loved being part of this group. As you might imagine, it often gets a little lonely in my world. So I have certainly relished the opportunity. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, really I have um, really enjoyed connecting with other nonprofit leaders. Um, for me, visiting our online community is a lot like a trip to the water cooler, for example. Um, you know, we talk about how our days are going, what challenges we're facing, and how we can be of help to each other. Um, and so in many ways, it kind of amplifies um, the content that you all provide um, because, you know, not only am I getting access to the nonprofit world, ac- according to Joan Gary, um, but I'm also getting the nonprofit world according to literally hundreds of other nonprofit leaders. And it's been so beneficial to have uh, their expertise. Yeah, I, 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 I'm in there every day, um, typically, you know, offering advice and expertise because the, 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 the Facebook village is, um, you know, sort of, a, there's always robust conversation going on in there, and it is not just self-moderated. We have experts who are in there answering questions. And uh, I often find that 
that your you know fellow clansmen and women in the village have already beaten me to a really good answer on some things, which is really awesome. So it's been very interesting to watch the the people, your colleagues, really step up and offer really excellent suggestions. I wondered if you could give me an example of something specific from the, on the content side that you implemented that has been of, of benefit to your organization and Absolutely. kind of moved the needle for you? Uh, so I would say the biggest thing for us has been your nonprofit success path. So for those who aren't familiar, the, the nonprofit success path is a blueprint for building a thriving nonprofit. Um, as some other members of our lab have done, my board and I have used the nonprofit success path um, as a tool for us assessing our organization. Um, it helps us to focus our attention and other resources on those areas of our organization that um, could really use some additional help. And of course, in many ways, it also helps us to feel proud because we can easily see those areas in which we excel. Um, so as a group, we have committed to revisiting the nonprofit success path on a quarterly basis so that way we can track our progress and continue to improve. That's awesome. That's awesome. So there's a, there, you know, one of the things we, when we started the, when we started the program, we were completely committed to making sure that people who joined the leadership lab felt neither overwhelmed or alone. <laughs> And in the community side, there's clearly a sense that you're part of a, really part of a, a tribe or a village, right? On the content side, there's there, there's actually quite a, a fair amount of content. Do you find that you look for it strategically? We have everything from full video courses that I do on how to run a great board meeting, which is you know sort of an eight-part series that of 10 minutes videos that you can watch in your own time, and the library is available to you to 24-7. Um, do you find the volume of content overwhelming or are you able to say, oh, I really, I, you know, I, <laughs> I really need to meet weekly with my board chair, you know, weekly or biweekly with my board chair. And I really need to know what an agenda might look like. And I go, do you kind of strategically um, look for content? Well, I, you know, I have often joked, um, are you guys bugging my office? Because <laughs> it often feels like every time I need <laughs> to learn how to do something, wouldn't you know it, you know, a related lesson or masterclass just magically appears um, in the lab for us. Um, so, I mean, to, to your original question, I would say that the amount of content that you all provide in, in the lab is really quite reasonable. Um, and the best part is, is that um, there's, it, it's all self-paced. So, um, and it, and it, none of it kind of goes on for too long. So, um, you know, lunch break, for example, you know, I can very easily get through a class on, you know, how to make my board meetings more engaging, or um, perhaps I need a little quick win. Uh, just, you know, one example of that is I needed to figure out how to re-engage some of our lapsed donors, and I wasn't really sure how to go about that. But you, you know, you've got a quick win in the lab where um, you kind of outline some best practices and give a template about how organizations can approach that. 
part of the reason that it might, might feel like we're bugging your office is because so much of the content is user-driven. So, for example, I was just on in the lab this morning posting that I'm having a meeting because the the, the folks in the leadership lab really want a master class on how mm -hmm. to create a great special event. And so I've identified somebody who says, what do you want me to cover? And I think to myself, well, why do I have to have the answer to that? Why don't I post something in the group and ask people what they want to learn? And I, I just looked at it a few minutes ago, and there are like 12 comments. So I already have an agenda for my meeting with the experts about the master class that they'll create, and they're going to create it in such a way that it actually um, gives the members exactly what they want. So um, one last question, and then we have to close it up here. Um, you know, we, are, we do have an open registration period going on now, again, through Wednesday, the 18th at midnight. It, when, any, uh, anything you would tell somebody that was thinking about oh joining my. the lab? Um, you know, I would say, to borrow a line from Nike, just do it. Um, you know, you can get in there for a month, and if you decide that it's not right for you, well, then it, it hasn't been a huge commitment on your part. Um, but more than likely, you're going to find um, that both the content and the community um, are just so valuable and welcoming and thriving that, that you're going to want to stay. We are out of time, and I just wanted to express my gratitude uh, to you for sharing your experience. Um, as we talked about at the beginning, I totally get why the work that you do is so important and anybody who has ever stood in these shoes gets it too. And um, and I really hope that your board steps up, <laughs> raises some more buckets of money, brings you on full time so you can get that strategic plan because there are families waiting for you. Thank you, Joan. It has been so great to join you this morning. So um, as, we, as we close this up, you're either just finished at the gym or you're just getting out of your car. I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I also just want to remind folks, as I always do, that lots of free resources available to you <clears throat> through our different platforms. My blog at joangary.com. Uh, the podcast that you're listening to now is we're moving into our second year, and it's been not only rewarding to see the... Um, the number of people who download it, but it's been really rewarding to have conversations just like this. In addition, we have a we have a free Facebook group called the Thriving Nonprofit, which you can find on Facebook and join. And um, I hope you'll give some thought to learning a little bit more about the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. The price is affordable, and I think you will, as Sarah has, determine that it is a very good investment for the kinds of resources that most of you are just simply not able to afford. And you can find out everything you want to know about the Nonprofit Leadership Lab at www.nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Uh, so again, nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Have a look, see what you think, and uh, I will look forward to my next conversation. And as always... Thank you so much for the important work you do. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.